So NC State baseball just picked up a transfer from ECU. Okay. And the ECU baseball coach tweeted out like, "No one player is bigger than the program. Go pirate!" Like real vindictive type shit. And uh, I think it's bad. I think it's a bad look. I think um, it's kind of like fans booing. Like I, I don't like getting mad at transfers just because they transferred, and when it's a coach doing it on Twitter, like hoof. So it was very clearly aimed at this guy that because like that's right the after. only news <laughs> yeah. that had happened. Yeah, yeah, mm, that's not good. No. I think he should lose his job. I'm just kidding. But, like, somebody should sit him down and be like, hey, dude, you're not just, like, a fan on Twitter. Don't you think that that hurts their long-term strategy yeah. of getting in players? Because you Absolutely. have to then convince people, like, hey, you should come to NC State from whatever school you're at. And Right. Okay. Well, that's not good for you. No, the ECU coach. Is oh, the, the ECU tweeted. coach. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The sorry. outgoing. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. That's not good for him. No. Yeah, I don't care about them. Mm. Do that little pirate hook thing. Their fans are like very into ECU baseball. And I feel like yeah. a lot of ECU fans are into their college itself, like mm-hmm. their experience. They generally don't have much else going for them. So it's possible that that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And some of the things we'll talk about today are like that. We're mm-hmm. like Mississippi State fans. Yeah. You better ring those bells, bang, bang, man. Bang. Cause that's right. You better do sandstorm at South Carolina, because what better. else? Hey, if it ain't a swaying, we ain't a playing. That's right. Actually, and like real talk, though, that stadium does move. I do want to... Uh, this is a thing we'll talk about later, but there's this thing that I've now seen in doing research for this where there's this idea that other places aren't loud to... And yes, sure. there are some places that are louder than others, and there mm-hmm. are some places that are not loud because their fans don't care as much. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Boston College and UVA in recent years mm-hmm. too, but looking up traditions, so many of them are like, "You don't understand how loud it gets at X school." Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, no, I mean, it's if, a lot. A hundred thousand people are screaming. Yeah, and if multiple schools are saying that, then like, yeah, chances are I actually do understand. Yeah, if, I've been to games. Yeah. They can get loud at games. That's I too part have. Of the I too have been in a crowd. I mean, there are definitely environments that are like, oh wow, this is special. Sure, but and individual games can be that way too. But it's just like I I saw this where it's like you don't understand what uh, a tailgate looks like. Mm. It's like yeah, I'm sure LSU fans are really good at tailgating. Yeah. I haven't been to an LSU tailgate. I'm sure it's great. Mm-hmm. Other schools also know how to tailgate. This is why I like being a fan of a school that's not a major, I don't know, like nobody looks at NC State football and is like, oh my God, this is legendary. Because then you go to the games with people who haven't been and they're like, oh, this is like also pretty cool. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like most of these environments are pretty cool. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think the alternative is when there's an environment that, should be more cool than it's advertised. Mm. So like I went to the Notre Dame UVA game a few years ago and it was it was cool. Yeah. But honestly it wasn't that loud. Their fans are kind of restless mostly. UVA was up at the half and sure. so maybe that was part of it. But I've heard nice concourses in the stadium though. It was nice. It was a very yeah. nice stadium. But like I don't know. I left thinking like, wow, that wasn't as loud. But mm. whenever somebody's like, you don't get it, man. It's like it. you somebody who's watched football your whole life <laughs> Or basketball, you you have no idea what it's like to be in a loud arena. Right. No idea. Welcome to the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw. I'm here with Michael Shutt. And we're talking college football today. Football. College football. Play some football. Related to college football, I did want to say congratulations out of the jump on Philip Rivers. Tenth kid on the way. He's been playing some football. (laughs) Ten kids. A man now can achieve his lifelong goal of fielding an entire offense if he's playing quarterback. Well, he doesn't have to play quarterback. He could play just a position. Honestly, with... Granted, you're right. Actually, with the size issues they're going to have, seeing as some of them are You put him in left tackle? Yeah, he probably should be on the line at this current moment. Yeah, congrats to Philip Rivers. I mean, this is a, I was actually having this conversation with my wife recently. We've been, we've been watching that Netflix quarterback series. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really enjoy it for a lot of different reasons. I mean, there's definitely some things I've skipped ahead on. 
kind of feels like hard knocks, but like the players have control over what you see a little bit more. And my wife loves the Kirk Cousins segments okay. because he's such a dweeb. And like, mm-hmm. she's like, this guy is the biggest dork, but like, obviously, objectively very successful professional athlete. And like, I know he catches a lot of shit for things, but like, he's been pretty, pretty damn good and has had a successful career. And we were just talking about how weird some of these guys are and like Philip Rivers, just like. I, I used to love I still love seeing clips of him like talking trash on the field and like he doesn't like he doesn't cuss. So he's just like, golly, man, get out of my face. And it's like <laughs> it's this hilarious like Kirk Cousins is very similar. And, and now, yeah, Philip Rivers, full time dad, 10 kids, man. That sounds like my nightmare. Yeah, I have zero kids yeah. and I still have trouble navigating my life. 10 kids. Maybe you just how old's the oldest one? Do you know? I was going to say, like, maybe you just kind of like each one. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme where you just give the responsibility to each kid to take care of the next kid. Uh, Philip Rivers' oldest kid is, oh, holy She's 21 years old. Wow. So, I, yeah, now she, I mean, she can no take idea. care of the other kids at That's this insane. point. Um, yeah, absolutely. That is wild. Good for you, Philip Rivers, I guess. He always was bad at throwing it away. Just take the sack. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh boy, cut that. Maybe I don't know. I think that's really good. It's congrats, close. but it's congrats close. to Philip Rivers and um, yeah, football. Oh yeah, yeah. So football. Six today. weeks away, man. We're so close. It is really close. And we want to talk about some excitement, and we were both getting excited about traditions that exist in college football. So we're going to talk about that later. Let's just let's knock out some other stuff first. Can college football just stop being such a downer in the offseason? None of this is fun. But, like, what would be a fun example of something that happens in the offseason? I, I like when it's, like... Joe Milton realizes he can fly hey, I'll take around it. the stadium. But, like, I like when, like, media days and stuff are about, like, can we take kind of veiled shots at our rivals and, like, mm. talk about how excited we are about new offenses and things like that. But now it's like we're talking about scandals and systemic problems and i just mm, i don't know don't like it but here we are where, where do you want to go first do you want to talk about northwestern let's, yeah let's to- follow up on some things from northwestern i think there's some stuff that we both kind of wanted to clean up i guess or or touch on and and i'll start by saying i think that you know we were really so obviously <laughs> for listeners of the last week's episode we recorded like right before pat fitzgerald got fired and um, I know you edited it. I was like mid-editing the podcast when the news came across. And I was like, well, that'll be an interesting edit. <laughs> so we were able to, to kind of put a little addendum in there. But, you know, I, I just want to say on top of saying that Pat Fitzgerald should be fired. And, and obviously they fired their baseball coach now, too, because they had a situation going on in that program. I saw a lot of conversation around this. And I want to emphasize sort of where I am personally on this. And I think you're in a similar spot. But like. Like I'm all hold everybody accountable, AD, president, whatever you know. Like whatever we find, wherever we find the knowledge is, and we made the big point with Fitzgerald that like it's your job to know what's going on under you. So the athletic director, the president, other administrators, it's also their job. So if it's found that they had you know ample opportunity to know, then absolutely, like let's hold them accountable as well. We're about to see this this um these lawsuits that are coming right they're they're targeting the larger school um listing them as defendants and actually potential acc impact here because jim phillips they've talked about potentially listing him as a defendant as well because he was ad at northwestern before becoming the acc commissioner but yeah uh, sure fire everyone i have that literally in my notes in all caps (laughs) fire everyone like because it seems this is a larger institutional problem at northwestern and the the one lawsuit where they've hired uh benjamin crump it's eight former players, and Benjamin Crump is a big-time civil rights attorney who had been part of the lawsuit at Ohio State, the sexual abuse lawsuit for their, one of their sports medicine doctors in 2021. He's he's also been part of major like Flint Water lawsuits and Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and George Floyd. He's involved in this, and they're looking at expanding not only to Northwestern as an institution, but other programs and potentially other institutions and filing a much bigger kind of almost class action type thing. Which is going to be a big deal. I'm all for accountability. Let's go. Let's come after everybody who's allowing this to happen on their watch. Totally agree with all that. Going in a slightly different direction, 
this is the worst two-year period you can imagine for Northwestern. Going back to, they had an athletic director that was brought in, Michael uh, Poliski, who was fired basically after 10 days. He had sexual harassment and racism charges that were kind of uh, attached to him. It was forced out like almost immediately. So they have a bunch of people who are around Northwestern, the AD, the president, who are all fairly new, who are not attached to Pat Fitzgerald, were not involved in the hiring of this baseball coach, who now are having to clean up the mess. You also have a situation where there is not a good relationship between the school in Evanston and the people of Evanston that are not associated with the university. And they're, they're in the middle of trying to build this like they have this strategic plan to build a new extension to Ryan Stadium, totally renovate it. And the people of Evanston didn't want it. They were like pretty adamant about it. And Northwestern kind of pushed it through anyway because they had all this positive momentum and donors and whatever. Like what a mess. What a mess for them. Yeah, I this is tough because like I think we're going to talk about this angle a little bit with some of the Tennessee stuff, but it's hard because you want to have accountability for the program and the institution. But how do you do that without punishing the innocent? How do you do that without punishing players and, and even fans? I think fans are important in this. Let's say you graduated from Northwestern, you know, 20 years ago and you just love watching them play football. You love watching that team lose big 10 games and you're just sitting there. Like, how do you, it's gotta be hard then to continue to support this program when you're starting to see this stuff happen. And I, I guess I'm sympathetic towards that just because like those fans didn't do anything wrong. Right. And I'm sympathetic towards the people of Evanston who maybe want nothing to do with Northwestern or or did and, and now are seeing things and they're just like, yeah, it's fine that you're here, I guess. But like, I don't know. It, it does feel, we see this all the time with pro teams and them wanting financial support for stadiums and things like that. And it's just like sometimes it, it feels like sports entities want to occupy a little bit more space than they have within the coexistence of like a larger community, uh, which is a difficult relationship for sure. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Like I, they're looking at like, so they're bringing in shut down the, the school. No, I mean, they're, they're doing something right that they have these kids who are part of the McGill school who, you know, work for the newspaper. They did a great job and are now probably going to have a really interesting and maybe terrifying rest of their college experience that they messed up the football team, quote unquote, by doing a really good job of reporting. And like, they deserve a lot of credit that for the stuff that they're going to have to navigate. And they did a great job of uncovering this when the rest of the university was happy to shove it under the rug. But I don't know, like it, it's going to be a really tough situation. Like, would you, if you were a, let's say you're some kind of coordinator, like I've looked at sure. the list of people that might be long-term replacements. I think they have kind of a temporary interim, interim coach subbing in now who was not involved in the uh, hazing. He wasn't there for right. those hazing things, which is important because there are so many other coaches that are sticking around on the team that might have been involved or might have known things which is kind crazy of, to me which is kind of its own weird thing but you know they bring in a coach that's different but like if you yeah. were a, a coordinator this is a big 10 job it is a major university like would you want that job would you make the leap to do no. that the the name that keeps getting thrown around is mike kafka star quarterback for northwestern had a cup of tea in the nfl now is the giants offensive coordinator and I think there's this kind of idea that like, oh, this guy could save the program and clean it up and kind of gives us the same good vibes that we have with Pat Fitzgerald in terms of like an alum who played for us, whatever. But if I'm Mike Kafka, why would you leave the NFL to come back to this program? They were one in 11 with right. Pat Fitzgerald last right. year, even if one you, in 11, even if you want to be like being a college head coach, maybe is your dream. I, I don't know what the guy wants personally, but even if you wanted that. And maybe a year ago, it, he maybe he would have thought like, yeah, as soon as that job opens up, I want to go back to Northwestern. Maybe that's how he felt. But now, why would you touch this? It's a toxic job for whoever takes it next. Like this is one of those things that you have to understand. Like when you take this job, you're not gonna be the guy long term. Whoever this is, I, I I don't care who it is. There's just nothing that anyone can do in my mind to clean this up to the point where 
they're going to be able to stick around. This is a you're a buffer coach. Whoever comes in next at Northwestern is to give a buffer between the Pat Fitzgerald scandal and the guy who they really want. And so I don't know why you take it. If you're almost anybody other than a coordinator, maybe a college coordinator who wouldn't have much of a shot at a college head coaching job. And so you're like, hey, this is a chance to jump ahead in line. If I can just do a decent job for a couple of years, maybe some other program, I can jump ship before they fire me or something like that. Yeah, I've seen some of the names that have been thrown out, like Matt Campbell's name got thrown out Hell from no. Iowa State. Well, like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Tommy no. Reese, you're now the coordinator at Alabama. You are probably going to have a great year and then get hired to do some other better job. One of the only names that made sense at all to me was David Shaw. Like, it, it's because he's out of a job. So it's literally, if would yeah. he want to get back into coaching? And he has experience at a high academic school at Stanford. But like some, so many other names, they're in real trouble. Like I don't know, I don't know who would want to go there. And this is an interesting thing. Like you start to see these lists put out of potential replacements. And uh, I was looking at one the other day, and I forget it might have been on the Athletic or, or something like that. And um, I looked at those lists, and it had a bunch of names like that that were like, oh man, that would be great if they got this guy. Like that'd be huge for them, like huge home run. I look, and of course the writer is like a Northwestern grad. And that's the thing is like so much of sports. Will Nick Saban leave (laughs) Alabama for a new challenge? (laughs) So much of sports media is these Northwestern people and they have these rose colored glasses. I think even still of like, oh, well, we could hire like the the idea that you could get Matt Campbell, who like is still I know I always say it's been down for a year or two now, but like still like every time a, a, a job opens up in that part of the country people are like this is the guy you want. It's literally like a law now. You have to include Matt Campbell's (laughs) name in all job requirements. I wish I, I kind of wish uh, Nebraska hadn't hired Matt Rule because if he were still available and this happened, I feel like this this would be the Matt culture. Rule. Oh <laughs> the my culture. god! It would be. I would love that. The only guy who's going to out culture Pat Fitzgerald, <laughs> Matt Rule. Yeah, but um, yeah, I see. I, I've seen some ACC connections. I've seen people throw out Dave Clawson's name. No way. Why? Why? Why, Why would he do that? David Unless- Shaw, I, I can I can sort of understand, but you gotta think. I know he's not in coaching right now, but you gotta think that David Shaw gets multiple calls about openings. Well, he's also working for Fox right. Sports now, so like maybe he just likes to make a cushy job of, you know, talking about football for forty five seconds and then Yeah doing nothing the rest of his week. I don't know. Like I that- saw Derek Mason's name thrown out there. Mm. Makes some sense to me. Yeah, I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to like if they called me right now and we're just like, hey, you don't coach football, but we'll throw you a lot of money to come try this. I'd be like, no, I'm good. Yeah. So Northwestern bad. Yeah. Let's talk about some other schools that are dealing with some stuff. Yeah. So Tennessee finally gets the wrath question mark Mm -hmm. of the NCAA for the Jeremy Pruitt years and the investigation that came through. This is somebody who, in a very short time at Tennessee, managed to rack up 16, or is it 18? 18, 18 level one NCAA violations, Yeah, which NCAA people who were involved in this said it was the most complicated and hardest to adjudicate case that they'd ever been involved in. They lose some scholarships. Jeremy Pruitt has to vacate some wins all 11 of them from the years he was there in 2019, 2020. But despite that, despite a fine, Tennessee does not have any kind of bowl bans, no postseason bans for them. What do you make of that for the Vols? I actually, I feel kind of conflicted on this for a number of reasons. One, obviously these violations are just like egregious. And I mean... the report is 80 pages long like this is like you said just the worst that we've probably ever really seen but we're sort of in a new era of ncaa enforcement where the emphasis is meant to be a little bit more on individual accountability rather than the program which is in line with what i was just saying about northwestern i hate to kind of see like current coaches and players being punished for the sins of the people in the past that's always been sort of hard to digest for me and and you see that some with them losing yeah they lost 28 scholarships and i don't know i struggle with that a postseason ban which has always sort of been the in the past 
like the hallmark tool that the NCAA has for stuff like this. Where I struggle is in the standard that we have come to know, that feels like what should have happened here is probably a two-year bowl ban or something like that. But to have nothing, I would have, I also, this kind of lose-lose because I wouldn't have liked that either because mm-hmm. it's like Joe Milton, just bringing up a Tennessee player you mentioned, he didn't do this. You know, Josh Hoipel didn't do this. Like, this is not, but then at the same time, if I'm, if I'm Louisville, and I had a basketball national title vacated because of four level one violations compared to Tennessee's 18. And all they did was pay for strippers and alleged sex acts. Yeah. No big deal. I mean. But like yeah. four violations and they lost a national title out of it. Or if you're Missouri or Oklahoma State in the last couple of years who have gotten postseason bans because of far lesser violations you got to be real mad about this. The, but uh, if, you're, if you're Arizona State and you have your hearing coming up from the Herm Edwards violations, you got to be pretty excited because you're like, oh, hell yeah, wait, we're going to skate on this. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's my main takeaway from this is I feel the same way about you that you expressed of like, I don't want to see current kids punished. I agree with that level of it. These people are not involved. The coach himself, Jeremy Pruitt, has a six-year show cause which effectively is going to keep him from getting a job for at least six years. So that makes sense. Finding the school makes sense. Taking away scholarships makes sense because, you know, then that's kind of on the structure of the football program and not the kids itself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the NCAA, this is what has always been the problem with the NCAA. And this will come up again in the next topic we're going to talk about with Greg Sankey. They don't have any consistent ways of enforcing things and so they are just constantly making it up as they go along Mm -hmm. so like it oh we have to we have to take a hard stand against louisville we're taking away their wins in national championship but you know now tennessee can kind of get away with like 11 wins are taken away that didn't really matter and they don't really have to go away from bowl games yeah like that's just it's just like nothing comparatively to what Louisville faced for fewer, like 14 fewer violations. You know, where are they? Where is the NCAA with the North Carolina stuff? Are they still investigating that? Kansas is still under investigation. So it was like, if you're a big program, you get some level of preferential treatment where then like, like you said, the other smaller schools, the SMUs of the world, you know, they, their, their football program is just now recovering from sanctions from, like the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So it's like, this is why you have no faith in the NCAA to make informed overall decisions about what, what it is that they're going to do. And, and I do stand by what I said. I think it is kind of lose-lose. I think no matter what they had done, we'd probably be sitting here criticizing it. And so I, I am a little sympathetic uh, towards the committee on infractions because I think like, I, like if you ask me to to build out what I think the ideal punishment is for this, I don't know exactly what I think it would be. I, I don't know. Like I, I I say come down hard on the coach for sure. So like to me, Jeremy Pruitt should be done. It should be maybe a lifetime ban is too harsh, but it should be like a decade. And then if he wants to try to get a college coaching job after or whatever the period is, he's got to like go through a whole appeal hearing. And he's got to come through and explain, you know, because he's the one who should be held accountable. And anybody else who oversaw it, I, 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 a postseason ban, I think what happens is we gravitate towards it because it was the standard. Mm-hmm. It's what we know. I think if, if you ask me I, at any time, I would say it's, it's, it's not really objectively fair. Well, it's like the actual death penalty in our judicial system. Right. It's, it's supposed to be a, Something to prevent. Yeah, it's supposed to keep other people from doing it. So, you know, that is something that actually hurts the university, hurts its fans, makes its boosters mad, hurts recruiting. Like, is the full deal that you can do to a program is to say you can't compete for a championship. And much like the actual death penalty, (laughs) the reality shows that it doesn't deter programs (laughs) from not doing the thing. So. What it can be really interesting, and I think we're going to get into this with some of Greg Sankey's comments, you have this intersection in this of NCAA enforcement and actual like 
governmental law because in Tennessee, when this happened, their attorney general, Jonathan Scrimetti, threatened that if they did levy a postseason ban on Tennessee, that the state of Tennessee would sue the NCAA. And you got to think that played somewhat of a role, as did the fact that Greg Sankey was not technically part of the Committee on Infractions when this hearing happened, but did advise them. The other part I worry about is this fine. I mean, $8 million or, or just over $8 million is probably chump change for the Tennessee Athletic Department. But how do we make sure that that's paid in a way that does not harm some of the other non-revenue sports at Tennessee or academics at Tennessee? Where is that money going to come from? The fine is designed to be a punishment for the football program. And I think there needs to be some level of enforcement to make sure that it's not being paid in a way that harms other programs at the school. But no, this is a total mess. And I got a kick out of seeing some of the some of the stuff from the hearing. And you see that like Jeremy Pruitt allegedly offered some money to Darnell Washington, the former Georgia tight end who's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And like reporters at SEC Media Days this week were asking Kirby Smart about that. And he was like, man, I don't know. Like <laughs> the guy came and played for us. Like that's that's all I know. You'd have to ask Jeremy Pruitt or, or Darnell Washington about that. Yeah. The the other thing just and then we can move on, it's weird now, just a few years later. Like this didn't happen a long time ago, 2019, 2020. But some of the things that Jeremy Pruitt claims his money and permissible benefits were given out for mm-hmm. families in need, like mothers of players coming up. Like there's famously he gave somebody $300 in a Chick-fil-A bag yeah. and addressed it as like social justice is like kind of his excuse for it. That Like, I don't even want to get into like the racism solved man. Well, but I mean, again, I'm not getting into that, but the, idea that a player who may actually have had financial hardship which a lot of these players do have we all assume that somebody gets a full ride to a school and it's easy for them but somebody has financial hardship you know giving three hundred dollars we're now living in an nil world where athletes are getting thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. for their their names and likenesses and boosters are funneling the money so it's so weird now that almost seems quaint in a way. Yeah. Now there are other things that Pruitt was involved in that are more substantial and his wife was involved and you know, all this other stuff, but it, it just seems weird how much the landscape has changed even just in three years that like we're throwing the books at a coach who's giving out $60,000 worth of benefits when athletes are attempting to get that from their school boosters right now. Right. And it's legal. Right. I read a great article from an outlet that I was unfamiliar with, and I forget the name of it, and I honestly, I don't want to give them a plug anyway, but it, it was whoever was writing it was very clearly like a pro-Tennessee person and was just like, why is everybody being so hard on Tennessee on this, and everybody's using this to, to write them off and everything, and they were like, yeah, $60,000 is not a big deal. And I was like, okay, but this this was pre and I like this was not now right. and it still wasn't right. And I think that this this is a good segue into the Greg Sankey comments hmm. because NIL is often used as a sort of a scapegoat or kind of a catch all thing for like this idea that college sports now is some kind of free for all. People are just throwing cash to, to recruits and parents and Chick-fil-A bags and like that that's just what this like literally i think people think nil and they think that nick saban is showing up with a, a a bag with dollar signs on it and is like come play for me i still don't think that's the majority of what's happening here but we tend to look at this and think like well now in this college football world people are just getting money thrown on all the time and i don't know i struggle with that being sort of i don't think that's reality and it's tough, right? I mean, I guess poor Jeremy Pruitt. If he had done this a couple of years later, maybe it wouldn't have been as big a deal. But yeah, and, and I don't know the solution, but I can tell you one thing. I, I, I don't think personally that I agree with Greg Sankey. I don't think that this is a congressional issue. And I'll let you kind of no, get no. us into this. No, I mean, Greg Sankey is correct to some extent that there is a problem that is 
bigger than any individual state. Mm -hmm. So you have a situation in Texas now. They have an NIL law that was passed back in May that prevents the conference or the NCAA from enforcing, like investigating different levels of NIL interactions between boosters and players. Yeah. So it like actively goes against NCAA rules. You have one in Missouri, which allows coaches to be a part of the negotiations of NIL, which again is against NCAA rules. So you have a law that contrasts with what the NCAA is trying to do. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem for the NCAA. How is that going to be solved by Congress? I don't think it's going to be like they're just one from a political standpoint beyond our current political divisiveness between parties, there's just not consensus on what to do about that. I mean, it's like not a clear partisan issue of what you're supposed to do. I think it's more likely going to be, there are going to be a series of court cases that are coming through and the, the net of it will be trying to define whether athletes are considered employees Mm -hmm. at universities. Mm -hmm. And that I think will provide some level of clarity, but even these court cases, they are, one of the court cases is about whether FCS employees or FCS athletes would count as employees. That would not necessarily be germane to all the football players. Do football players at major universities count? Is it certain states? Is it just football players and not gymnasts? Yeah. Right? Like this is extremely complicated. Congress is not going to solve it. So I'm glad that Greg Sankey went and lobbied for his opinion and wants to complain about it. He's not going to get this at all. But he is right that there is an issue. Like it, it is very different between states. It will allow states like Texas and any other state that passes NIL laws that go against the NCAA. They will have advantages going forward until something is decided. I'm going to try not to step too hard into my government teacher shoes here, but like. It is different from state to state, and that's kind of how our country works. I, I understand like that creates problems here. I'm not denying that at all, but I, I guess I have I have several thoughts here. One, my biggest issue with saying Congress has to step in to solve NIL problems is I think they have bigger fish to fry. I'm saying that like as a sports fan and also just like as a citizen of the country, I think we have bigger problems. <laughs> but also it's an advocation of the NCAA. Yeah. This is what the NCAA is Absolutely. supposed to be. They are supposed to be the regulators That's of what, the sports. Literally, my I have under, in my notes, I have Greg Sankey, and then three notes. One of them is, isn't this the NCAA's job? And, and I know that they, they, they sort of do want to hide behind this, like, well, these different states are passing these laws and things like that. But what it comes down to is, Membership in the NCAA is voluntary. This is an organization that athletic programs join to participate in, in, in intercollegiate athletics. And in doing so, the NCAA then can enforce their rules however they want. And this is the issue I have with the Tennessee AG stuff is like, you're not talking about employees. And you're not talking, this is like a thing that people are participating in voluntarily, which gives them certain rights to be able to, to enforce their regulations it's like the same idea as there are i don't know this is the example that that pops into my head but institutions like restaurants and bars often can skirt local and state regulations by making themselves like private clubs where you pay for a membership and now they can have regulations that aren't the law the ncaa because it's a voluntary organization can regulate its own things they do have the authority to do that. And I know that's been challenged in court and it's difficult. And like, yes, it's complicated, but I'm frustrated with the NCAA for not stepping up and saying, this is our area. We're going to figure out how to enforce it and let's put the work in. It feels like for the last couple of years, what they've done is said, all right, NIL stuff is good. Everybody figure it out. Well, it was more like they got caught completely off guard by Supreme, sure. like the O'Bannon case of the Supreme Court. And so you get... That's what I'm saying. In response to that, they said, okay, fine, you can do it. And part of their response for decades were to say athletes can't get anything because then that would just be a slippery slope line. Yeah. And so, you know, if that's your line in the sand that athletes getting money ruins the game for you, like I know there are people that believe that, but I just don't. And I think what can you do about it? It would be better to come out with trying to find something that gives athletes some level of agency, some level of money, 
some level of rights as employees since they are putting their lives on the line in some cases or if nothing else their bodies their you know yeah. it is a full-time job to be a d1 athlete absolutely so uh, and they're making their schools millions and millions of dollars in the cases of football and sometimes basketball programs so i think that's you know they they really let all this slip away and now to just be like congress help you know like that's not going to be helpful and i just like I I guess I'm really curious as to how fans, especially SEC fans, are going to perceive this because I guess thinking about those fan demographics, the idea that like, hey, we have a problem solution. Let's bring the federal government in. It is. It is interesting. Like it is an interesting dichotomy. I'm just super curious about that. And, and, and to me, like, I mean, Greg Sankey in his comments is talking about, well, the, can't we can't have these athletes doing this in an unregulated marketplace i thought the whole idea was like a free market this is supposed to be a good thing and that's where i'm confused because i think that there are some aspects to this that i, I look i've long said i think there's aspects to this that will solve themselves over time but there are some things some regulations needed but i think it's the ncaa's job what i'm really curious to see i saw some Cool stuff thinking about how this impacts realignment. You could potentially see realignment in the future where you have a level of college football that is schools that treat their athletes as employees and then a level of college football where they don't. Mm -hmm. And it's wild to me to, to imagine that future and what that means for certain programs. Because you could have, I'm imagining a world where like, you have a meteoric rise for programs that have not historically been successful because they are able to afford athletes certain rights due to their status as employees. So, like, let's go, Elon. Treat them as employees. Become the next Alabama. And get everybody you want. Hey, you know who was not in favor of their employees being or uh, their Boy. <laughs> athletes being employees? Yeah. Pat Fitzgerald. When they tried to unionize at uh, Northwestern, Absolutely. and he was like, hey, guys, we can't do that because yeah. Northwestern Wildcat way and culture. In, in, in Chicago, of all places, too. like <laughs> Yeah. Or Chicago, greater Chicago We're going to do area. some union busting here in Evanston. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that's absolutely, without this being a larger comment on labor organizing, I don't mean for this to be that, but I think college athletes do deserve more in terms of protections and once we open this door something has to be done i just don't think it's the job of congress to do it i think that the ncaa needs to figure this out yep strong so. agree uh, i want to get to our last segment yeah there's no good way to transition to this but let's have some fun let's have some fun let's do it all this was like sad stuff and i wanted to think about something that was more fun getting excited about the college football season so thinking about traditions because traditions are what organize our lives in the fall they give us meaning uh they unite us with a bunch of people that we otherwise wouldn't like probably absolutely or certainly wouldn't be anywhere near <laughs> uh but you know i think that's a unique thing that is specific to college football in particular not that there aren't traditions and other things but it's just like there's so much of college football that's regimented and absolutely. organized with us so mm. we both came up with our favorite traditions in college football. Yeah. And I also came up with, I think you did too, some, some that I hate. Some that I just think are stupid. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. I mean, I think we're not organizing this in like a top five, are we? No, I mean, just, I have like five or six. But. Throw some stuff out. All right. I'll start here. I think you know that I'm a uniform guy and I've talked about it before. I love uniform stuff. And I, I as uh, lots of uniforms get redesigned and there's all sorts of things around new looks and stuff like that. There is a uniform tradition that I love. And it is when USC and UCLA play mm. each other. They Home games. They buck the normal tradition of one team wearing white and the other team wearing their color their color home uniforms and they go color versus color. And these are two of the most beautiful uniforms and color schemes in college football. UCLA has played with it a little bit in recent years, but currently they're kind of back to a more traditional look. And seeing those two uniforms on the field together, it is just an amazing thing. And it's because they always do it, too. So it's like you just expect to see it. It's a great uniform combination, seeing those colors go against each other in this crosstown showdown in L.A. And I just love I, I love turning on the TV to see this. I think it's a it's a fantastic tradition tied to a specific game. Most of my other ones are 
the programs, the fans just do these things. This mm-hmm. is like a specific game, pretty big deal. And they really, because they're L.A. and whatever, you know, Granola or yeah. whatever, and it's on the other side of the country, people don't realize how much they hate each other. Oh, yeah. USC, UCLA, like they have a long history, lots of success in both programs, but also just like totally resent each other now. And they compete in everything all the time. Now going to the Big Ten, which is still weird and I can't get over it. But yeah, I 100% love that uniform combination. Um, kind of in alignment with that, a, a specific game for me. I have attended this once and would immediately go back. Red River Rivalry, formerly the Red River Shootout at the Cotton Bowl. Split down the 50-yard line between Oklahoma and Texas. Right outside, they have the Texas State Fair where they got all kinds of the most insane foods, which upcoming segment, we're going to be voting on the State Fair foods because that. that is coming up soon. They're yeah. already starting to get submissions for that. So that's coming up. But love that. It was one of the most fun college football experiences of my entire life. I got to meet Ted Cruz. He was randomly at a tailgate, a fancy tailgate that I got invited to. So that was something. Uh, that wasn't my favorite part of the rivalry, <laughs> but yeah, just an ex- insane experience. And again, two programs that just absolutely hate each other. But like the whole pageantry of the event is so cool. Yeah, I'm very jealous that you've been and very much want to go. I think we were talking about this recently. I think in an ideal world, this becomes a future preferred walk-ons expedition. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, so as listeners, you could share this with your friends so that we can grow our audience. We can maybe justify a Patreon, yeah. Patreon level so of that us. we can afford to go to games. And don't do... you want us to have cookie flavored enchiladas or something like that? Yeah. And yeah. like the content would be amazing. We go interview people at the Texas State Fair about yeah. that rival. Like, good Lord. That would yeah. be incredible. All right. My next one. I'm going to get this out of the way because you're going to hate it. I won't lie. I used to turn my nose at this tradition for a long time until I experienced it in person. I thought it was the most overrated thing. And then I was there for it. And uh, I'm sorry to you and so many of the listeners, but Inner Sandman at Lane Stadium is that's one of those that like, I'm not going to go all the way to the like, you don't understand. It's loud and awesome. But it's like, look. You're in Blacksburg, Virginia. Those people have nothing else to do. So they're all there. Everyone in the surrounding area is at that game. And that place does. I mean, it it, it shakes. And it is like, it's, it's pretty cool. As somebody who was like at my first Tech game, didn't really care. It was relatively early in my relationship with my now wife. And I was like, man, whatever, this will be fine. And I kind of like we had tailgated before and I sort of forgot going in that like, oh, they're going to do that. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to go watch this football game. That'll be cool. I like football. And then it starts and you're just like, oh, my God, this is like I am fully here for this moment. Yeah, just I think it's really cool. I'm going to shout them out, and I wanted to get it out of the way early so we could move past it because I know you hate it. It's not a problem that they do it, and it's fine. Like, I, It's not that it's not cool. Yeah. It, I would point out that they and UVA both had Inner Sandman as songs for people to come out to. Like sure. When I was a student, Inner Sandman was also played, and UVA was like tired of the fighting back and forth about who did it first. Mm. And so they went into like, uh, I think Thunderstruck kind of became the song that gets associated with UVA now, which is kind of lame. But I look, I'm not going to say that it's not loud or not cool. But at the same time, I also just think like fans jump around, literally jump around Wisconsin. Yeah. But they just jump around for a lot of things. There's a lot of music. South Carolina does Sandstorm. All those things are cool. I don't have a problem with it. It's just not like a unique experience. for. But I will say this is where and we've we've argued about this before off air, but. I like I've been there for Sandstorm example. It's cool. Sure. This was cooler. And like I want to say too that I was there for I've been there for Sandstorm when South Carolina beat Georgia at Williams Bryce in Columbia. My inner my first inner Sandman experience, Tech was playing William and Mary and that was cooler. To me that puts it up a little bit more. And I think like there's the famous video. I think it's a game where they're playing like Miami or something where it was an ESPN game and they walk through the whole thing. So they show them walking through the tunnel and they touch the hokey stone and all this. And I just think all of that, like 
it is cool. Like that, like if you're talking about how great tradition is in college football, I think that's a that's a cool example. But anyway, it's fine. It's fine. I don't care. That's great. All right, throw me, them. throw me another one. I, I mentioned this in the open, but Mississippi State with their cowbells, I low key love that. I love it too. It's on my list. It's uh, it's unique. It's unique. It's historical. It started in the 30s and 40s, reportedly because a cow wandered onto the field. And then Mississippi State won the game in an Egg Bowl game against Mississippi. And then how did fans react to that? Did they react by bringing cowbells that were hanging around the cows to the next game? No, they reacted by trying to bring actual cows the next time that they played until people were like, no, you can't. Everybody can't bring a cow to the game. So they decided, okay, we'll do cowbells. And it is deafening. And the thing that's amazing about it is like you can't get fans to do anything they have these in, like very specific rules about when you can do them mm-hmm. because of like they have to stop right as a play is getting ready to start and they will go silent in the stadium and just be loud without them and then immediately start doing it again as soon as the snap happens like yeah. that's amazing coordination and it's very cool and stark vegas i kind of want to go I it's feel on like- my list of like places i want to go see a game for sure, because I feel like they're probably great. I I could go because I have no like feelings about that school. None. So none at all. So I could go and just for a couple of days, just like get real into it. I'll buy some stuff and just be like, "Yep, I'm a Mississippi State fan for a couple of days," and go all in and probably not remember it. I just feel like that place <laughs> is probably incredible. Uh, I love the cowbells. I love that they had to like. I feel like it was relatively recent that they had to put in some new rules about it and like when they could do it. And I've seen comments from players about like it's actually it psychs you out almost more that it's like super loud and then all of a sudden goes quiet and like then you have a play like it's just like a weird environment and I love the cowbells. So in the spirit of unique traditions, I'm gonna go with uh, Tumor's Corner. Rolling That's on my list too, yeah. even though I hate Auburn. It's sure, cool. sure, not a fan of Auburn, but this is just a cool like again just unique tradition unique creative tradition that comes from them throwing out the the ticker tape after games like the uh, on the power lines and then became uh rolling those trees and harvey updike can't stop those auburn fans <laughs> god damn it i I, love I, it. I probably i this is on my list too love it but at the same time also would have to say that maybe once a month i watch the video of auburn fans prematurely celebrating the final four game against uva <laughs> where they all just start running out on yeah. bars and like start trying to toilet paper their trees and then like they all very slowly are realizing that they didn't win the game because so of the good. free throws oh that brings me that sustains me brings so me life good. one of my all-time favorite things um next thing on my list i'll stay in mississippi the grove mm-hmm. and ole miss I don't know like i'm not a very preppy person even though i went to virginia and many people who went to uva are known for being preppy sure i just think this is like a cool tailgate experience that's different like every tailgate's gotta be like the hardest tailgate you've ever been to lsu we're cooking entire gators (laughs) and and, yeah you know whatever this is like we're gonna have a huge party but it's also gonna be sophisticated we got chandeliers that's right why not like red solo cups chandeliers i think it's just kind of a cool thing some um Hotty toddies, hotty toddy, gosh almighty! I do hate. We're I'm sure we're gonna talk about some bad ones. What is it with SEC schools and stupid phrases like Rammer Jammer? That's the other one. (laughs) Uh, My next tradition I really love out at out in Boulder, Colorado. Oh yeah, Ralphie, Ralphie Ralphie, the buff. Technically, it's an American bison. First of all, I learned today. I always thought Ralphie was male, female. Yeah, Ralphie is a she. Two great things about the Ralphie tradition and running Ralphie out on the field. One, Ralphie's whole, what they call the Ralphie program, her existence, training, everything is funded entirely by fan donations. So like cool. the fan base kind of owns this and like sustains this tradition, which is kind of awesome. The other thing I really love, because I always have had a little bit of an uneasiness with live animal mascots and like, you know, it's the same thing as like SeaWorld and the zoo. There's a part of you that's just kind of like, should we be doing this? If a game's about to start and Ralphie seems exceptionally nervous, you know what they do? They don't make her run out on the field. Have them go right onto the a visiting team's <laughs> sideline. They're just like, oh, Ralphie doesn't seem to be feeling it today, so we're just not going to do the Ralphie run. And everybody's just like, yeah, all right, fine. She wasn't feeling it. Unbelievable. Love that. 
Like when so much of live animal mascots is just like, no, Mike the Tiger, perform for us or whatever. Or uh, Auburn, you're, we, this eagle's going to fly around the stadium because we're the Tigers. <laughs> None of that ever makes sense. But Ralphie, they treat they treat her with respect and dignity. I love that for her. Yeah, Mike the Tiger, they like actually shock with an electrocution yeah. thing to get him fired up for when the other team is coming out of their locker room, which is not great. But as an aside, I would just say that I love all live animal mascots. I mostly do too. Like yes. Ugga. Ugga's uh, great. Just, they treat Ugga with respect too. If Ugga doesn't want to come out of that little doghouse on the sideline, he know. just stays in there. Yeah. Smokey at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good Solid. dog. Good dog. Good dog. Um, two more I want to talk about on my end. Yeah. Uh, Battle of the Bands, the Bayou Classic. Okay. I won't pretend to know a lot about Southern or Grambling's programs, but I always tune in for that because that is like, it is like everything that marching bands should be and more. Like it is like, half of the people go to the game to see that yeah and they will frequently just play so loud and get so into just the music during the game itself that sometimes they have to like make announcements in the game to be like hey the bands are getting too out of control we gotta like actually play a football game here no i love it i love all of that i love the pageantry of that and like i wish it got more national attention like i'm glad it's been on NBC the last several years, mm-hmm. but I always find a way to tune into that because it is just a amazing experience, and it's like what marching bands should be. And it, you know, HBCUs marching bands are really, really important and have a strong history in this country. And I, I think it's great that they put that on. Absolutely, my last one. This one. I had to think some more about and make sure that I was right about some things that I have felt, but making sure that, that I could confirm them. Florida State, Osceola and Renegade, mm. riding out to the 50-yard line, planting a burning f-ing spear in the field. So in this country, we've uh, done a lot of had a lot of conversation about Native American representation in sports and things like that. This uh, stands out as... Uh, an exception to a lot of things that we've had where we actually have, you know, Seminole leaders have been pretty vocal in their support of this and have been involved in how it's presented. Florida State has a really good um, resource on their website kind of about their interactions with Seminole Nation and that they're really adamant and talking about and, and, and thorough in talking about it's not just that Seminole leaders have been like, yeah, this is fine, but they they're like hands on with this is how it should be presented. It's an honor to pick a student to do this. And it's actually, it's a pretty cool way to honor the only Native American tribe in in the U.S. that was never conquered by the U.S. government. Never, U.S. government never had dominion over them, I guess is probably the best way to Mm -hmm. say that. And it's just badass. So once you're able to get past the like, Okay, great. Like they've they've done the right thing with this. They're not just being like stereotypical and all that stuff. They're not appropriating right. a, another culture. So once you're able to like check that box and say, okay, I don't have to feel bad about this, or maybe you don't care if you're out there and like, like whatever. I mean, cool. the, the hundred thousand fans and Doe Campbell that are doing tomahawk chops the entire sure. time. That's that's the problematic part. Not sure. This. Yeah. The um, but it's just cool, man. He runs out there with the spear and just it like it's a it's a it's a spear on fire. It is the cooler version of the Trojan at USC with the sword. Like that's fine, I guess. But like and Traveler the horse out there, that's cool. But this is like it's just badass. And I I don't like Florida State, but I love this tradition. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely would love to see a game there as well. Just like the environment seems like one of the better ACC environments that there is. My last one, my top one. This is the first year since I was five that I missed the Army Navy game watching Mm. because we were coaching at the time. We had a game and so I didn't get to watch it live. But Army Navy is my favorite sporting event of any sport to watch the football game just the you know the prisoner exchange marching on where they have the entire students of both university or both uh, academies marching out onto the field before the game singing alma maters at the end you want to sing second it is the coolest thing like you can just see the emotion in people's faces like i almost always get emotional even though like i'm not i always root for navy from like my family's background but yeah. I get emotional just even thinking about it. Like it's so cool and also on my bucket list of things to to watch. Yeah. 
it, it is always fun. I thought about that. I enjoyed it. That one kind of just missed my list along with the Iowa Children's the wave. Hospital wave. Hey there. This is kind of cool and wholesome. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But but it's like so new that I feel like it's not really a tradition. Yeah. Um, give me give me some of the ones. Let's do a rapid fire. Yeah. Ones that you hate. A couple of ones I hate. Uh, Ohio State dotting the I. So overrated. I don't give a shit, man. And similar to that is the Tennessee running through the T. I mean, I, that one's better to me than the dotting the I, but they like bring in special people to dot the I. And just, when uh, you have to say, if when you have to talk about how important it is, yeah, like exactly. when you're like, what a, a what a prestigious award to be able to dot the I. Man, shut up. Yeah. Like you don't. If it's really prestigious, you don't have to say that. Yeah. Come on. My next one's giant bass drums in the marching bands. Mm. Uh, Purdue, Purdue in Texas had like a d- measuring contest about this. <laughs> uh, again, nobody cares. One that. You probably have on yours, and I'll I'll just say it, and then I'll let you go off on it. But Texas A and M yell practice and all oh, that. That's my number one midnight hate. Midnight yell or whatever. But the one my number one hate is Clemson. Howard's Rock running down the hill. I don't think I hated it as much until Dabo came along, and it is so he has made that about him <laughs> sprinting down that hill. They this is like in contrast to the ESPN coverage of the Inner Sandman stuff walking through the tunnel when they show them riding the buses around the stadium to go to that run who cares man this is stupid they get on buses to go around the stadium because their locker rooms on one side from the hill so they go and they ride around and espn shows them all riding around and the fans are yelling and all this stuff they get to the hill and they go and touch this rock this rock that used to be a doorstop for their coach it's not significant this is stupid I hate it. I hate Clemson. I hate Dabo Sweeney. I I just think this is incredibly dumb. It honestly, like, this has become a thing for sports teams to be like, there's a thing we touch before every game. And everybody's like, well, yeah, Notre Dame has that storied play like a champion today sign. That thing just went up in the late 80s because of Lou Holtz. That's not even a great tradition either. That's on my list too. That's from Oklahoma in the 40s. Yeah, I'll turn it over to you because I I have too much rage. earlier. The Clemson one, I totally agree with you on. Like my thing about that is somebody's gonna get hurt. This yeah. is where this is where I turn into an old fogey because it's like I hope it's Dabo. It's a wet game. People running down this thing. Like somebody's gonna just slip, and then the whole Clemson team's gonna be knocked out. And you know what? God willing, had, I had it coming. Yeah, the play like a champion thing totally bothers me. That was a Lou Holtz mm-hmm. popular thing in the '80s. Traditions need to be original. Yeah, like it's fine if you have a tradition that's not original. Like if you're shaking your keys, for example, but it's fine. It's fine. Just don't say that it's original. Yeah. A couple other ones on my list. West Virginia singing the John Denver song, which like, come on, man. It's just like, oh, we have a, our name shows up in the, in the song. We're going to sing it. Like Alabama has Sweet Home Alabama, which I've seen live in person. Like I like that better. It's fine. I don't know. It's, but just don't say it's like a great. Especially because the song's not actually about the state of West Virginia. I do like when they yell, eat pit in it. It, That's fun. I mean, I just agree with that sentiment. Sure. The Razorbacks doing the, like, call of pigs (laughs) or hogs, call of hogs. That's just weird. It is. Like, that that just seems like a cult. Yeah. And speaking of cults, you mentioned this already. Texas A&M with their midnight yells. Mm -hmm. And, like, this got some play last year because they lost to... We live in the YouTube era and everything's online now, but their whole like the yell leaders doing a roast of the other team. And like this year they did like a cringy thing about how Appalachian State didn't know how to read, couldn't read a map, all this other stuff, and then beat them. So cool for that. Uh, Texas A&M just bothers me in general. Yeah. They're like the worst. Yeah, you do hate them. It's weird. Like everyone dresses like neo Nazis at the game, and then they have five people that are like doing weird yeah. gun dances. And if they lose, they have to, it was because the fans didn't cheer loud enough, and they have to go to cheer practice. Like, come I mean, on, you man! Just don't get it, man. You've I never, don't. You've never been somewhere that loud. It's <laughs> that's what it is. Twelfth man. I don't get it. Kyle Field. Boo! If I'm you, excited for college football. Man. I am I very wait. excited. I'm very excited. I would watch. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, man, six weeks from now, we're already waking up to watch Michigan State, Kent State at noon. Can't wait. I'm there. I would watch like, I don't even know. I would watch any schools play right now just to be able to watch football. Yeah. 
If you have any traditions that you think we left off our list or want to complain about Texas A&M, you can write to us at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com or you can follow us on social media at pwopod on Instagram or Twitter. Are we going to get on uh, threads? No. Okay. You see not, we won't be on threads. already dipped like... Yeah. Yeah, it's that way. So no threads, just yeah. the other two. But Bitcoin. Bitcoin.